It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your Locked On Indians podcast, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. Let's get into it. We got some minor Indians news. We've got some more pontificating on some ideas going forward for the Indians. Uh, We have our all-time Indian center field position, which uh, might be the most talented one to five of any position in Indians history. There's actually not a huge amount of depth behind that top five, but the one to five is, I I feel like, the the greatest you'll see on uh, on any of these all-time lists. So let's get into a few things. Um, it was just tweeted out by Mandy Bell. Let's see, I am recording at 5 o'clock, a little after 5. Uh, so 43 minutes ago, uh, Oscar Mercado made a diving catch in shallow field. Uh, looked like his wrist bent backwards when he made contact with the ground. He laid on the ground holding his wrist in pain until the medical staff came out. Breathe in, breathe out. I broke both of my wrists, funny story, when I was in middle school. It was a brand new gym floor. I had uh, gone to school. It turned out I had pneumonia at the time, but hadn't told anyone because I had had perfect attendance for a few years and we were playing kickball. And I was at first base and I was trying to score from first on home. And I stepped on home and home didn't stop and I slammed into the wall. That was second hour. I didn't tell anyone and stayed at school the entire day. Uh, five more hours with a pair of broken wrists and pneumonia. So uh, that's, I guess I can say you can't question my toughness, maybe. Um, so that is my own broken wrist story. Uh, yes, it is true. I broke both my wrists playing kickball. Um, that story gets even better because that was my first day back in gym class after I had shattered my collarbone. Uh, one of those where I went to get up and my shoulder was still on the ground in a football game. Fun times, right? But I can say that hard contact like that and then the inability to bend your wrist certainly reminds me of when I had a pair of hairline fractures in both of my wrists. Uh, We'll see what comes of this, but this is huge, huge concern because Mercado is down. I mean, your center fielders on this team, Greg Allen, Bradley Zimmer, I wouldn't really count on anyone beyond those two. So... Uh, it changes the whole outlook of the Indians. I mean, they already needed outfield help, if we were being honest. Um, Fran Mil Reyes is having a great spring so far, but I still don't trust him defensively, but you trust him more than Domingo Santana. So, you know, that's that's going to be a concern now with your center field position being a lot weaker. You know, Luplo can't play there. You know, maybe it'll be nothing, maybe just some sprains and he'll be fine. But, man, can we just go ahead and say, like, don't dive in spring training. Like diving is always like the same thing. Don't slide headfirst in spring training. The games don't matter. It's not worth it. There's always a risk when you do kind of extreme body motion. And yeah, don't. There's no need for this. So the good and the bad. You're like there's good. Well, I think the good is that Mercado was very up and down a year ago and ended up being about league average. The highs were high. The lows were low. Um, you know, defense never slumps though. He projected to be an above average to plus defender in center, which is the biggest loss here. 
Offensively, he was probably being a little overrated heading into the year. We'll see what he if he's going to miss time or not. Um, obviously, there really isn't a plus to the loss of Mercado if these are if he did break uh, his wrist. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm massively massively concerned about that uh, going forward. Now, since we talked about the Indians needing more outfielders, it was reported today that the Yankees are quote unquote uh, scouting teams pitching. There is some talk that Mike Clevenger might come back from injury and not actually miss any starts. So all of a sudden you're in a situation, um, you know, I, I really like Jesse Sanchez. He wrote an article for on MLB that kind of talks about it, except for he didn't realize that uh, Pletko has no option, so he can't be sent down. So, uh, you know, the Indians, it looks like, you know, you go Clevenger, Bieber, Carrasco, uh, and I'm sorry, no, he said that Sabal or Plesak would get sent down. So my mistake. He had it correct. Um but in that case, I mean, it's almost a certainly going to be Plesak who gets set down. Um, you know, Bieber, Carrasco, Clevenger, Saval, and then you have Pletko, who's either your five or he's your long man. So what this comes to is if Clevenger gets all the way back, um, the Indians would make a natural trade partner for the Yankees. Um, I've talked about it before. I've talked about it multiple times on this podcast. Uh, Plesak or Pletko, either one would be uh, a movable piece. I mean, I'd rather move Pletko, but I think they really like how smart he is, uh, how much he breaks things down. He's one of those guys where there might be more value in what he brings in terms of just his intelligence. And there's been some articles this year about how much he, like, watches tape and studies and learns things and, you know, his, his trip through the minors. And when you look at the Yankees right now, you know, they may not have that uh, obvious fix for the Indians in terms of center field uh, if there is an extended injury. You know, they have their own issue with Aaron Hicks and his injury. But there is the overall depth of this team where, um, you know, is Clint Frazier going to be a starting corner outfielder? Well, it depends on how healthy Aaron Judge is, how healthy Giancarlo Stanton is. Um, we'll have to see when they're going to come back from their injuries. And that's kind of the the bigger holdback with anything that involves the Yankees is, yeah, they could easily flip one of these outfielders. You know, Miguel Anjouar, Clint Frazier, those are guys who are more bench bats, but thanks to these injuries, it's not really known uh, who's going to be available and who isn't. Uh, but that is their value, most valuable trade assets, at least in my opinion. If we go down and we look at the minor leagues, I'm not really sure that, you know, some of these non-roster invitees are all that interesting. Uh, so yeah, it, it's those other pieces that are in the majors, uh, and it's, I'm saying ah a lot today, I apologize, but could you get a Frazier back whose value has been yo-yoed to death? Could you do something where it's like, is there a realm where, you know, Pletko, Netcha Frazier? Is there, uh, an area where, uh, a Plesak Netcha Frazier? It's like, people out there may be like, no way, but at the same time, Clint Frazier is, let's see, at this point he is 25. He will be 26 in September. He has had quite a bit of time in AAA. Last year when he was demoted to the minors, he didn't play well in AAA. He was uh, well below uh, league average bat. The other side of that is he was an above league average bat in the majors, but his defense was pretty horrendous in the corners. I don't know what to make of him. You know, this is a guy who debuted in the majors in 2017. The Indians traded him in 2016, and he was a top prospect then. But it's 
never really come together for him. And at points with some statements and things, he's been his own worst enemy. I don't know what you expect for him. If you look at things like Zips and Steamer and all these other things on fan drafts, no one projects him to be even a league average bat, which means his, you know, his base running is not all that high of a rate and his uh, defense isn't as well. So I don't know. So if he, his Zips three-year projection this year would be being worth half a, basically half a win, a little bit less, like a 0.4, 0.3, 0.4. That puts him at a replacement level. And yeah, he could totally get better bigger and stronger but uh his value is is pretty low so i mean honestly frazier for pletko feels about even value at this point there is still some ceiling in frazier that pletko doesn't have but pletko is uh a reliable cheap depth arm who you can be kind of fungible uh that's the word i'm looking yeah it's the word i mean i pronounced it correctly but uh, kind of maybe in a Ross Stripling role. I don't think he's as good as Stripling, don't get me wrong, but a similar type of role. Uh, so it's just something to keep in mind, especially if Clevenger comes back, especially if you're in a situation. I mean, again, I don't know what they would do in terms of center field. There is always the hope that maybe Bradley Zimmer could light the world on fire because defensively, I think we kind of forget before he got hurt, he looked really good defensively in center field. Uh, but he is been completely unable to stay healthy uh, it's been pretty rough for him so far in the spring we'll see what he can do but I mean, if we're being honest it's been pretty rough for everyone in the spring outside of maybe uh, Fran Mill so we'll have to take some deeper looks I mean Santana has been good Lindor's been good kind of the usual suspects Kaye Tom looking pretty good just gonna throw that out there Kaye Tom uh, played center field last year Playing center field now. I mean, that might be, honestly, if anything happens, uh, he is making a case to be that center field option. And he's making a very good case to be a center field option for the Cleveland Indians going forward. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Okay, now it is time for all-time Indians in center field, right? Some nice uh, talking about the center field position, talking about some things the Indians could do, talking about Kai Tom and why I think he is making a case to make this team. But let's talk all-time center field. Now let's talk about some of the names of guys who didn't make it. Um, Jim Pierasol. He was with the Indians from 59 to 61. Uh, yes. And two times he finished in the top 30 for MVP. Really good defender, uh, 103 OPS plus, 122, and a 79 in his year one. The Indians traded Vic Wirtz and another piece, I can't think of right now, to get him out of Boston when he was uh, 28 years old. He had been a gold glover already, multi-time all-star. Interesting, he won a gold glove, finished 13th in the MVP, uh, did not make the all-star team in 61 with the Indians. Now... On top of that, eventually the Indians would flip him to the Washington Senators, getting three pieces. Dick Donovan, the pitcher, 
uh, was the biggest piece who came back. So he was traded, you know, the, the Indians traded Gary Geiger was the other guy, a center fielder, in Vic Wirtz. Uh, it feels like each time they did pretty well in those trades. So he's, uh, he's someone to note. Uh, it is interesting that one of his comps is age 31 comp, which is when he had that really strong season in Cleveland. Marquise Grissom is the player who he's most similar to, and his age 28 and age 29 are Austin Jackson. So multiple uh, Cleveland Indians, his similar batters for his lifetime, Coco Crisp, former Indian. So that's just kind of some fun with that. doesn't make the list, but something we have to talk about. Brett Butler uh, wasn't here long enough to make an impact is kind of the sad truth of it. He came over uh, in 84, maybe 83, but debuted in 84 with the Indians. And the only thing in 84 and 85 he led the league in was caught stealing. Yeah, he stole a lot of bases, but not an efficient base runner. He was with the Indians from 84 through 87 before he was uh, traded on. And then one of those interesting guys where a lot of his strong seasons came in his 30s after he'd kind of moved on from San Francisco to L.A. He would stick around until age 40. The Indians actually got him from Atlanta, uh, where the Indians got uh, Brooke Jacoby and uh, Brett Butler after trading them Len Barker in 83. Uh, they also got 150000 the Indians did, to make that deal. And at the time, I'm sure it was not the most well-reviewed of deals. He had been an all-star. He had been a pretty solid pitcher for the Indians, but he didn't do a whole lot in Atlanta. Um, was never effective, so I think that's a, a net win for the Indians when you look at the pieces they got. He was, um, when he left, he left as a free agent and signed with the Giants and put up those really strong years. Looking at his page now, no Indians comps for his age levels, but, uh, you know, it, he was there for kind of his core and did a good job for the Indians. Uh, part of me really wanted to talk about Alex Cole, but uh, I know he wasn't good. He was just the center fielder of my childhood, and the goggles made him someone rem uh, who I remembered, even when I wasn't really following the Indians that in-depth. So now they've kind of eliminated some of those close. Let's talk. The top five is a loaded group. There are three Hall of Famers for the Indians. There is a player who was on a Hall of Fame track, and there is a player who is probably had the biggest uh, jobbing of any player in Hall of Fame voting history. And at number five, I'm going to put Grady Sizemore. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you know I consider him kind of one of the great what-ifs. In his age 26 year in 2009, he, uh, you know, that was, I'm sorry, let's go back. Age 2008, age, that was his uh, age 25 year. 33 home runs, 39 doubles, uh, 133 OPS plus. He debuted at his age uh, 21 year, but had his first extended season in his age 22 year. Finished 23rd in the MVP. Uh, he was nine plate appearances after his first season uh, away from rookie eligibility, or he might have been the running for the, he would have been in the running for rookie of the year in the next year, and was just an offensive force in center. Um, uh, his defensive values are also strong. And then, you know, I talked about that age 26 year, plays in 106 games, uh, still a 110 OPS for the time, but the offensive production, just not what it was up to. And then he just couldn't stay healthy. 2010, 33, 2011, 71, doesn't play in the majors in 12 or 13, plays 111 games in 2014, plays in 97 games in 2015, well below average, and that's it. That's a career 
for him. You go down to his comps by age, and this is why I just get sad. Okay, here's his comps. Age 22, Duke Snyder. Age 23, Duke Snyder. Age 24, Mookie Betts. Age 25, Barry Bonds. Age 26, Barry Bonds. Age 27, Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith, Dave Henderson, Michael Kadire. Um, those top two guys, you know, Duke Snyder is a Hall of Famer. Mookie Betts is on a Hall of Fame track. And Barry Bonds is a Hall of Fame type of player. His similar career score, Matt Carpenter, Al Martin, Larry Heisel, Josh Reddick, Trot Nixon. I put him here. Because Pete Grady Sizemore was one of the better players I've seen in Cleveland. He could do everything in center. Uh, it was easy to market. He was just a smooth athlete who, um, I didn't realize, still, he's younger than me. So the whole time I was enjoying him. We were similar in age, but he's a bit younger. You know, he was the, a lesser piece in that deal. And he turned into just one of the best players in baseball. The Indians locked him up to a contract. And it's just a shame because his injury is really... Uh, you know, that, that was kind of what got it there. I, I wish I could look at all of his um, high points in terms of the option years and the things like that. Eventually, Cleveland declined his options. But he never made more than... He never made more than uh, $8 million a season. One of the best players in baseball. You know, he made $30 million. That's more enough to live by and live comfortably if everything was done well. But he's just one of the... You know, the Indians have a few guys like Herb Score... Uh, Grady Sizemore to me is also in that class uh, and there are other players too where I think of like Brandon Wood recently where I just kind of look at it and go man what could have been and you know Sizemore two-time gold glove three-time all-star and he also won the silver slugger and this is a guy who essentially only had four complete years in the majors four years we played in more than 115 games that's it that was his career four seasons yeah, he bounced around for a while, and he had some good seasons that were not, um, were that were less than that. But it's crazy to think about it. Grady Sizemore didn't even have five full seasons in the majors. What did we miss out with him? I mean, he debuted so young. What numbers would he have put up, especially in Cleveland? You know, where could he rank all time? I mean, he's currently 14th all time in home runs. He would easily be top five in that category if not for. For injury, just think about that. I mean, four seasons, four complete seasons, and he's 14th all time. Uh, he'll get passed this year by Francisco Lindor, and I'm trying to see who else might. Jose Ramirez is not super far behind, but it might take him a little bit longer. But yeah, it's for me in my lifetime. It's kind of the saddest Indian story. I mean, I know there are much worse, like Ray Chapman and um, Fosse the catcher, and people like that. But uh, man, Sizemore. Uh, what could have been, right? So now that we've talked about Grady Sizemore, we have to put Kenny Lofton fourth. And that's because he has three Hall of Famers in front of him. When you look at overall like career war, both offensively and overall, he's actually ahead of Larry Doby. Uh, he is fourth all-time in Indians history. Doby is eight. He is... I'm sorry, Doby beats him offensively, who's seventh. Lofton is eighth. And Lofton is third all-time defensively. But... Kenny Lofton is kind of one of the great tragedies of uh, voter uh, Hall of Fame voting. I'm not saying he necessarily deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. I do think he has a better case than Omar Vizcala. I've stated that before, and that's not even to knock Omar. I think Kenny Lofton is just, it's one of the great injustices. And and I've talked about this on the pod, but six-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glover. I mean, at his peak, 
he was stealing obscene amounts of bases and hitting 300 and also walking at a very high rate. I mean, he was an on-base machine. You couldn't keep him off the plate, off the plate, off the bases. Once he got on the bases, he was taking extra bases while also hitting like 30 doubles a year, some double-digit home run years. It's just unbelievable. And then the defensive value, what he brought was consistently very strong at peak. And even at age 40, you know, I talked about this on the podcast, a 105 OPS plus at age 40. The fact that he didn't get a chance to play at age 41 is a catastrophe because you go back, it's like OPS plus in 2006 at age 39, playing every day, a 95, a 109, a 95, a 106. He played every day, 136 games, 559 plate appearances, 105 OPS plus, 296 average, walked more than he struck out that year. You know, I've, I've talked about Lofton in depth, but a 17-year career, uh, 2,428 hits, 622 stolen bases. You go and you look up his his place in Indians history, and I've already talked about, you know, he's one of the top five, uh, top ten players by kind of those compiling metrics. When you look at something like base on balls, which is something he excelled in 12th all-time, if we went and looked at stolen bases, he is by a a mile, the Indians all-time stolen base leader. He's at 452, Omar Vizquel at 279 a second. Uh, Kenny Lofton is a great. He should be remembered as a great. And I hope that his number gets retired by the Indians, because it should. Um, so that's Kenny Lofton. Larry Doby, uh, one of those players that... We'll get into the numbers, but, the, man, the impact beyond the numbers. First African-American player in the American League. Uh, he was kind of... You know, the story being in Cleveland that he was just kind of pushed into it, that Jackie Robinson, they kind of got him some time in the the minors and acclimation, and Dobie was uh, was pretty quick with the Indians and was just, you know, debuted in 47 at his age at 23. It was a bit of a struggle. Came back in 48, though, a 301 average, a 384 on base, 490 slugging, uh, hit 14 home runs, 23 doubles, finished top 30 in the MVP at age 24. Next year, he's an all-star, and then he's an all-star every year from 49 to 55. Uh, just always a consistently, his peak years, his OPS plus a 156 and a 163 with a 160 between uh, those years. And when I say those two are the peak, that's when he led the league. That means he was the, in terms of taking all that stuff and compiling it into one number, the most productive hitter in the American League, it was Larry Doby. He should, probably should have won in, I mean... Watch me get myself in trouble because I don't know 1950 in front of me, but he finished eighth in the MVP, and that's a that's a joke uh, because again highest OPS plus highest on base percentage at 442 highest uh, OPS that year in all of baseball. That's age 26, age 27, a 160 doesn't lead the league in anything that year, but still just does everything across the board. 52 he finishes 12th in the MVP again a joke. Leads the league in runs. Leads the league in home runs with 32. Leads the league in strikeouts. Maybe that's his downside at at 111. But he does also walk 90 times. Leads the league in slugging. Leads the league in OPS+. Yes, things like slugging and OPS+, plus didn't exist. But things like runs and home runs were known. And you have a center fielder who's leading the league in runs and home runs, and he finishes 12th in the MVP. I mean, that's, that's kind of not good on any level. He... Just, I mean, his first run in Cleveland, it's utterly phenomenal. There's, you know, the, the fact that it took him, I don't think, and this is where, oof, I'm going to, I don't believe he was a Hall of Fame first chance. 
Yeah, voted by the Veterans Committee. Like, that is in and of itself that it took him till 98 to be voted in in the Veterans Committee. When you look at seven-time All-Star, you look at some of his production being exceptional for the time period, uh, and you add in the historical value, like, that's a joke that it had to get to that level to get him into the Hall of Fame. Eventually, he would get traded in an in, in interesting trade. I, I don't know how to evaluate it. You know, the Indians uh, got Jim Busby and Chico Carousel. Uh, Busby was not much. Carousel was like a four or five time all-star who was like coming into, but he had always been all glove, no bat, uh, shortstop. Eventually he would come back to Cleveland and, and he was excellent in his return. It was 89 games for him in, uh, 58. Again, not a full season, but a one, one twenty nine OPS plus those years where he was with the White Sox. He had been an above average league bat as well. I mean, I think it's safe to say the Indians lost that trade if they should have kept him the whole time. He comes back, performs a while in limited time, uh, ends up leaving again, and then that was his age 34 in Cleveland. Age 35, only 39 games. And the career uh, comes to an end. A bit, uh, you know, a bit of a down uh, story there. Uh, the Indians did trade him for Tito Francona, who, in an interesting story, that was the second time Tito Francona had been involved in a deal for Larry Doby, as he was part of the White Sox, where he was traded from the White Sox to the Orioles, even though he never ended up playing with the Orioles. And if anyone wants to sit back and think that you know Larry Doby had it easy, uh, here's a quote from uh, Roger Hornsby, uh, who, in 1947, uh, this is what he said. Again, this is not me. This is an exact quote by Hall of Famer Roger Hornsby and noted racist. Bill Veck did the Negro race no favor when he signed Larry Doby to a Cleveland contract. If Veck wanted to demonstrate that the Negro has no place in Major League Baseball, he could have used no subtler, sub, sub, uh, subtler means to establish this point. If he were white, he wouldn't be considered good enough to play with a semi-pro club. He is fast on his feet, but that lets him out. He hasn't any other quality, quality that could possibly recommend him. And yes, he did struggle in his rookie year, but uh, by all accounts, he was... Now, this is a, on top of being a great baseball player, someone who fought in World War II. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we'll never, it's really hard for anyone of my generation to kind of sit back and think about what exactly happened with Larry Doby, what he had to go through, and the experience of what he did for baseball. I mean, truly, not even looking at his history, one of the great, great players in Indians history. But when you add in the history, it's just one of the great human beings in Indians history, I think, as well. Because, um, I mean, the pressure was on him, and people were out to find ways to have him fail. People wanted him to, like, find disordered. But everyone wanted us, not everyone, but there were a large percentage of people who wanted, were rooting for him to fail as the first African-American player in the American League. And, you know, he was, on top of being excellent, he was just an excellent human by every account I have ever read. And we'll end this with a another quote, this time from Al Rosen, we talked about on the show last night, uh, who went on to be a great manager and baseball mind in general, that Jackie was a college-educated man who had been an officer in the service and who had played at AAA. Jackie was brought in by Branch Rickey specifically to be the first black player in Major League Baseball. Larry Doe became up a second baseman who didn't have time to get his full college education and was forced to play a different position in his first major league season. I think because of those circumstances, he had a more difficult time than Jackie Robinson. I don't think he has gotten the credit he deserves. 
So let's add end with that positive. I'm going to end the show here. We're already running long. We'll talk about the top two players on Monday. We'll consider that a tease. Ooh, next week is actually going to be a head-to-head week of uh, talking with uh, our fellow locked-on uh, Central Division teams. I have to look and see. I believe we're starting with the Twins on Monday. There is an off day. So on the off day, we will finish the top two, uh, two of the five greatest players in Indians history. I think ending with Larry Doby, though, and uh, what he represented and did. He was not elected until he was 74 years of age. So, yeah, it is definitely a terrible thing that it took him that long. But, yeah, listen next week. We're going to be talking. I'll be talking to all the other hosts here on the Locked On uh, Podcast Network. We'll be going back and forth. You'll be able to see in the headline which team I'm talking with. There is one off day. We'll finish the all-time center field list. These guys were just too good. I had to give them more time, and I hope you enjoyed an extra-long show for today. I have been Jeff Ellis. You have all been awesome, and as always, go Tribe. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 